six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another power. No change without struggle. No one in power ain't giving up nothing. No change without struggle. No one in power. WORT 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor. We will be talking today about right extremism in this country, and specifically the women who are involved in that movement or these movements. In the second part of today's show, we will be talking about Moms for Liberty, a group that is growing in alarming speed. But we are going to start with a discussion of some history and context. And our guest for that is Professor Margaret Susan Thompson from the Department of History at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs in Syracuse University, where she teaches, among other subjects, an honors seminar on white nationalism and white populism in modern America. And guess where she received her PhD from UW Madison. And hello, Peggy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's um, start right away with uh, one thing that um, is mystifying to me. If, if you think about Moms for Liberty, for example, and the way the right has basically hijacked words like liberty and freedom when in fact their, um, their entire agenda seems to be about longing for authoritarianism. How do you understand that? Well, I think that many movements hijack language in order to make their organizations and their objectives more palatable to a larger group. Think about the phrase pro-life, for example. Mm -hmm. Who's against life? Do you want to be anti-life? <laughs> yeah. And so I think we see this in a lot of different movements. And to be pro-child, to be pro-family, to be pro-motherhood, again, who's against those things? Mm -hmm. But but there is that longing for authoritarianism, isn't there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, of course, they would not define it as authoritarian. They, that's why they carefully use the word liberty in their name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So compare today's white nationalism and right populism to previous eras in the United States history and also the role of women in these groups in the past and currently. You know, there have been women involved for a long, long time. For example, there was a very active women's branch of the Ku Klux Klan in the mm. 1920s. And many of those women, but not all, had been members of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. Um, and they, of course, the UDC, were responsible for uh, erecting many of the uh, Confederate monuments and statues that are even now so controversial throughout the South. Yeah, and, and we have, or we had one of them here that was removed, and I guess to some degree that was controversial too. But um, so talk right. about the women in the KKK. I, I've never heard about that before. Oh, yes. In fact, one of the main organizers of the Klan in the 19-teens was a woman, um, and she was a very popular speaker and writer. Um, and women were very attracted. Again, the same kind of language we see now was being used then, that the Klan was there to protect American values, to protect the kind of America that people remembered, to make America great again. Mm -hmm. That so, language was current even a century ago. Aha, uh -huh. they actually use the phrase, make America great well, again? I don't know if they use the phrase, but they uh -huh. certainly use the concept. 
Aha, okay. And, and have there been women-led movements in the United well, States? Well, the United Daughters of the Confederacy was women-led. The Women's Auxiliary of the KKK was, of course, led by women. But there have been all kinds of movements. There's a, there are a couple of really good books about this. Um, there's a book called Mothers of Mass Resistance by Elizabeth McRae, and she talks about the women in the South especially who were organizing and for a time very effective both at fighting against school integration and fighting to present a sympathetic vision of the Confederacy in school textbooks. So that sounds very familiar, yeah, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes. so so let's talk about that historic line that goes from there to from now thirties to now, so a century of this at least, yeah, so um how how have things changed, if at all, and if not, why? Well, one thing that's changed, obviously, is that today's women activists in organizations like Moms for Liberty are very skillful at using mass media and social media to spread their um, their ideas mm-hmm. and to attract new members. So they're very active online. They got... A lot of their original publicity by appearing on right-wing talk shows, beginning with people like Rush Limbaugh and Tucker Carlson and people like that. Um, and that's how they started attracting their members. Yeah, and I also am wondering about social media. If you get mm-hmm. an extremist message from a woman, does it sound less extremist because she's a woman? Well, especially if she's in an organization called Moms. It's not even Mothers, it's Moms. Yeah. I mean, doesn't that sound non-threatening? Yeah, and I suppose if it is about um, your child being forced Absolutely. to do terrible things in school, like wear a mask or study real history. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the, the argument is that they don't want to, one of their slogans is, we don't want to co-parent with the government. Mm-hmm. So the idea is the government is attempting to take the place of actual parents in raising your children, not just children, but your children specifically. Yeah, and I can see the temptation there. Um, I myself um, homeschooled my kids for uh, several years um, mm-hmm. because... To a large degree the the lies that they were taught in in the rural school that they were in at the time and the way they were treated for um for speaking the truth and and ironically ironically it was homeschooling a lot of the mothers who are involved in moms for liberty who are critiquing the public school system are homeschoolers. Yeah. But they also point out in a lot of their writing and in a lot of their speaking that many of them became aware of what was going on in the public schools and the things that they find objectionable when their children were sent home during the pandemic. And so they watched what was going on online. They read their students' um, textbooks and other things they were being uh, assigned to do in school, and they found it very disturbing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and, of course, many of these people were also involved in movements that um, objected to masks, objected to um, mandatory vaccination, and so forth. Yeah. Which is why, among other things, at their recent national gathering, uh, one of the speakers was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. And explain why that is an issue. Because he's <laughs> been, for years, he has been a very vocal anti-vaxxer, speaking out against vaccines, not just the COVID 
um, 19 vaccine, but many vaccines, which she claims cause autism and other problems in children. There's no scientific evidence for this, but nonetheless, he instills fear in people. Who wants their child to be exposed to something that might cause a problem like autism? Right. And and is that the main issue here in in the objection to immunizations or what what are there oh, other there, things? I mean there some of the objections are really what I would call, you know, extreme. I think ex- objecting to um threat of autism is extreme, but there are some who say that they're attempting to implant microchips in people through the vaccine and so forth. I think that I wouldn't want to accuse everybody of believing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have grandchildren who are not immunized because their mother... Um, claims that she knows kids who are autistic or or other things after receiving um, vaccination. I actually talked to one of the women who um, had a child who was very disabled and actually died and that my previous daughter-in-law claimed was because of immunization and yeah. find out that it had nothing to do with immunization. Well, there's, first of all, it, may have, it probably has nothing to do with it. Secondly, even if there is an extremely small uh, percentage of people who have reactions to vaccines, that doesn't outweigh the benefits. Of this, I mean, every time we take a medicine, we are told that there are possible side effects, right? Mm-hmm. And most of us weigh the benefits of the medication, whether it's a vaccine or anything else, against um, you know the possible side effects. Yeah. So, um, looking back and looking at today, um, I have two related questions. One is, um, would it be fair to say? that they still tend to uh, further patriarchal models, even though now they do have really their own organizations that they started and and they are keeping that are not related to, you know, like the KKK or its version today. Mm-hmm. And um, is... <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure how to, um, how to put it, but... Has feminism uh, made also these women, you know, gave them the power to become the, in my opinion, regressive force that they are? Well, that's a really good question. Let's start with the first one. Um, I think that, again, these women are, they have been activated Is it patriarchy? They would argue that it's not patriarchy, but that men and women have very different roles. Mm -hmm. In effect, we go back to the concept of separate but equal. And one of the roles that are more specific to women is the role of motherhood, the role of parenting, the role of childcare. And so the kind of activism that they are engaged in, which they say is a direct... um, outcome of their role as mothers is not a rejection of traditional motherhood, but simply a reinforcement of what women have always been called to do, which is take care of their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And what about the feminist part? Well, again, they Feminism is is a bad word for these women. I mean, they believe in activism, but they wouldn't call themselves feminists, Mm -hmm. right? They believe that women have very specific roles. Women are different from men. That's one of the reasons why they're very concerned about what they see as gender ideology, being forced on children because they see men are men, women are women, and there's a very real line between the two. Um, And so it's not a question of feminism so much as it is that women have always had important and strong roles within their gender identity as they understand it. Mm -hmm. It might be called complementarity, that the roles of women and men complement each other but are not the same. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so I saw a report about uh, the women of January 6th, and I want to give you a mm-hmm. quote here. Women's actions on January 6th have represented a break from the norm among right-wing extremists in, in, in that they participated in frontline roles, and one of them, of course, died and has become right. a martyr of the cause. How, how right. did you understand January 6th in that context? That's a really interesting thing. I mean, there, there's been a lot of work on women in the radical right, especially the extremist right. Um, in, in her book on militias, um, Kathleen Ballou has a chapter on the role of women in militia activism. And while they do tend to play behind-the-scenes roles, they also learn things like how to use guns and how to, def- again, defend their families. So this is, and many of these women did serve in the military, mm-hmm. including the woman who died, you know, as she was attempting to break into the House chamber on January 6th. She was a military veteran. Yeah. So has has the role become more egalitarian or not really? <laughs> how well, how again, do you see that? It's it's separate it's different it's complementary yeah it's and again if you're doing this uh as an extreme perhaps but necessary step to protecting your family and especially your children then it's really a kind of modern day extension of traditional motherhood yeah, and it's interesting. I heard uh, Jeff Charlotte talking about the yes. woman who died there um, at the January 6th insurrection. And uh, he said, you know, having gone all, all around the country and, and uh, talking and trying to understand the extreme right, um, one thing he saw is that she has become really a martyr in their eyes. And, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, she they, is, go she ahead. is a martyr. She is a martyr. And on the other hand, some of those who were killed in the... Um, you know, by police, some of the black um, yeah. victims of police violence have been ridiculed and are used um, almost as laughing stocks by the same people who support when uh, Moms for Liberty. Yeah, and and he was saying how she is described now as this young, beautiful, virginical right. woman who was killed by the forces of evil. So so That's she right. has achieved kind of a mythical um, aura. That's right. That's right. And, of course, every movement needs its, you know, its legends. Yeah. Its legends. And she has become one. Um, and I think it's also important to remember that one of the real objectives of the Moms for Liberty is targeting school boards and running for school boards and attending school board meetings. Again, this is another extension of traditional roles of mothers taking care of their children and how their children are being taught or in their point of view, indoctrinated. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I also would like to explore a bit the role of religion, uh, mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. to me like extremism almost always um, has a religious um, part, and in this case, I think it's mostly fundamentalist Christianity, mm-hmm. but also, and and I know that um, you define yourself as um, a feminist Catholic, but I think Catholicism right. has part in it too. So, Oh, absolutely. There are, there are Catholics involved in Moms for Liberty, especially around here, which is a very Catholic area. Mm-hmm. So talk Syracuse. about that. Well, I think, again, women are the ones who are supposed to instill moral values in their children. And more women attend church or religious services in many cases, especially within Christianity, than men. 
And so women are the guardians of this kind of virtue. Yeah. Right? I suppose, um, yeah. And many of the, and many of those, perhaps not you when you were homeschooling your children, but many of those who homeschool their children, do so within a religious context. Yes, yes. Even at the time when I homeschooled, there was the community of unschooling, kind of. Yes. Yes. And yes. and then I also um, was invited once to another meeting of homeschoolers and and. I was I was appalled and disturbed by um, I'll give you two quick examples. One is that my son was um, so another boy with a lot of um, um, painting colors and he went and asked to participate in that and the guy was like, Basically, his reaction was, no way, it's mine, right? And uh, also, there was a father there who, when the meeting ended, he whistled, and immediately his six kids uh, lined up (laughs) at attention, I swear. And, um, you know, and and then I found out, you know, this was the religious... um, the religious part of um, the homeschoolers. Well, there's now this very popular documentary, which is on TV, about um, the Duggars and the organization that in which they raise their children. And there's a real militancy within that um, within that kind of homeschooling movement. Yeah, and Kira Butler, who should be joining us very soon, uh, who right. who has reported extensively. Um, I've read some of her articles; they're very good. Yeah, and there's somehow I think I was most shocked by um, her describing uh, these Christian women who are. Absolutely in objection to the notion that kids should be taught to be good citizens, good part of the community, to to um, contribute to the community, to com- contribute to making the community a good place for all. And uh, this one mother who didn't even didn't know, uh, who assumed apparently that that Kira herself was a mom for liberty, was like. What? Now they expect me to raise my kid to be a good community member? It's enough that they are good for themselves and make money and do good. What, What kind of morality is that? Well, it's a it's a morality that says what is good for me is good for me. And it's good. It should be the morality that applies to the whole society. Um, I grew up in um, the segregated South, racially segregated South. Mm -hmm. When I was a child, the schools were segregated and so forth. Um, People cried when the schools integrated. And some of the people who cried were children who had been brought up in homes where the idea of going to school with members of another race was just unacceptable. Yeah. That this was somehow going to lead to... um, interracial dating or marriage or even friendship. Yeah, God forbid. It was was really, it was really, I think what we can't overlook, and I think this is really important, is how much and to what extent fear underlies so much of this activism. Fear of the unknown, fear of those who are different, fear of the other whether it's racial groups, whether it's religious groups, whether it's people with different gender identity, different ethnicity. There's yeah. fear of people who are different. And I think also fear of how things might change if, exactly. um, if they become part of the community, the same community. Well, if you've enjoyed privilege all your life, but you haven't thought of it as privilege, but rather the way it ought to be, or the American way, even worse, um, then anything that threatens that is very scary. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, feel so important. And uh, we do have Kira Butler with us. So I want to thank you very much, Professor Margaret Susan Thompson from the Department of History at the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs in Syracuse University. Well, thank, you. thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And uh, again, um, with us is Kira Butler. She is a... Uh, Senior editor at Mother Jones, and uh, by uh, way of introduction, I would like to tell you that in 2022, Moms for, for Liberty endorsed 275 winning school board candidates nationwide. They are funded by millions of dollars in right-wing dark money, and we'll probably talk about that a bit, and they are targeting thousands of school board seats and are already banning books, terrorizing teachers and LGBTQ plus students and censoring history and other um, classes. Kira Butler, thank you so very much for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate your um, deep dive into Moms for um, Liberty. If you want to give us just a very brief uh, introduction to who they are, where do they come from, and how did they become so, um, or how is it that they're growing so much so quickly? Thanks so much for having me, Esty. Um, and yes, I would love to talk a little bit about uh, the origins of Moms for Liberty first. Um, so this is a group that dates back to um, maybe late 2020 or very early 2021. Um, this was, of course, during a time um, when a lot of schools were had gone remote for the pandemic. Um, and uh, it was basically started by um, a couple of moms who uh, were upset about um, the fact that schools had gone remote and were also upset uh, as schools were beginning to come back about mask mandates at schools. Um, so these two moms were in Florida. Both of them were former uh, school board members. Um, their names are Tiffany Justice and Tina Deskovich. And there were two other um, women who were kind of peripherally involved with the founding as well. Um, and uh, to hear them tell it, you know, they, they met at an event and they just sort of decided to form this grassroots um, membership organization that grew very quickly. Um, the real story is a little bit more complicated than that. They had a lot of help um, from some um, conservative groups, uh, the two main ones being the Leadership Institute, which is a group, it, it's a, an old, old group that um, trains Republican leaders. Um, trains people who want to run for office. Um, and then the other one is the Heritage Foundation, which of course is a well-known um, conservative think tank. So, you know, you mentioned that the group grew very quickly and that was, that was quite true um, in the first year. Um, you know, I think I, I went to the, the conference in 2022 as well as the conference in 2023 in 2022, they told me that, you know, they had only been around for a little more than a year and already they had 100,000 members um, in 200 chapters across 38 states and 500 people attended that convention. Um, this year, uh, the group, the growth kind of slowed um, or maybe even plateaued. Uh, they, the membership number is now, according to them, at about 115,000, um, uh, 285 chapters across 45 states, and the attendance at the convention was around 700. So you kind of did see a, a little bit of slow growth um, over the last year. You know, I, and I want to also back up and say that um, you know, while this group started out as kind of a protest of schools being closed and of mask mandates, they pretty quickly uh, broadened their um, mission to include opposing LGBTQ inclusive curriculum and books, and also, of course, um, the anti-racism uh, curriculum and you know, social emotional learning programs that they refer to as critical race theory. 
Um, There are a few other issues that they care about too, but those are kind of the big, the big ones. So with 115,000 members, which is a very actually small number when you think about it in the context of how many people live in the United States, uh, they seem to have amassed a tremendous amount of power, no? In, In what they've been doing? Uh, yeah, you know, they, they have um, very effectively uh, elected school board members. So this, their local groups um, will endorse school board members, and they mobilized um, really effectively. Um, I think that they have endorsed something like 500 school board candidates. And of those, um, more than half have won so far. So that is, that's a, that's a pretty significant achievement. The other thing that I, I do want to add about um, their membership is that the bar to become a member of Moms for Liberty is low. Um, the chapters might charge, you know, $20, $30, um, but to become like a member at large that's not affiliated with a local chapter, that's free. So it's not like, and you don't really have to do anything. Like you don't ever have to show up to a meeting or anything. So um it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not like, it's not even like joining the PTA where you have to go to meetings and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And yet um, they are being quite successful. Um, who is behind them? And um, I mean, you, you already mentioned the Leadership Institute and the Heritage Foundation, but there must be some uh, money uh, that's coming in. And also... You describe um, one of the strategy sessions, I believe, um, that was given by the Leadership Institute in in one of these conferences that you went to. Um, what what did women learn there? Um, so to answer your first question, or sort of give you a, an unsatisfying non-answer to your first question about funding. Um, Moms for Liberty is a 501c4, um, which is different from a 501c3, which we all know as nonprofit designation. And in Florida, um, where Moms for Liberty is based, 501c4s do not have to disclose their finances. Um, So, you know, if you look at like a 990 for Moms for Liberty, they will say, Oh yeah, we get our all of our money from like t-shirt sales, um, which seems incomplete. Um, but you know, we don't know exactly where all of their funding comes from. You know, we know about some high-profile donations. Um, there's like last year, or maybe even in 2021, um, the heiress of um, the public supermarket chain, who's a, a big um, conservative donor, gave them a bunch of money. But like. Other than like one-off donations like that, we really, we don't know a lot about where their money, where the, the bulk of their money comes from. Um, in terms of the Leadership Institute though, um, I, I actually attended two different Leadership Institute sessions, one last year and one this year. And uh, the, actually, and This year, the most interesting um, sort of revelation um, about uh, Leadership Institute um, was at a session that I I didn't attend, but I met up with two other reporters there and we kind of, we shared our recordings of all of the sessions. So we were able to kind of divide and conquer. Um, And uh, so Christian Ziegler, who is, he is the uh, chair of the Florida Republican Party, and he is um, the husband of Bridget Ziegler, who is one of the original, um, not founders, but an original kind of leader at Moms for Liberty, and now works at the um, Leadership Institute. Uh, So they gave a panel, and uh, Christian Ziegler was telling uh, Moms for Liberty members how to deal with the media. Um, And there was this question of, a few weeks before the Moms for Liberty conference happened, there was this instance where a an Indiana chapter head had quoted Hitler in her Moms for Liberty newsletter, and this made the headlines and um, favorably. What favorably? 
Uh, well, you, you know, it, it was something I can't remember the exact quote, so uh, I guess I'll paraphrase. I think I, I, if I remember from your article, um, she compared mainstream media to Hitler. Uh, no, I don't think it was that. Okay, um, sorry. I, no, no, no. I, I think it was. It was something like, you know, the. A, a group that controls the children um, is the most powerful group of all, or, you know, something like that. So uh, the defense of this quote of this chapter head, they were saying, well, she was saying that's what she was comparing Hitler to the left, like the woke mob, like that's what the woke mob is doing is being like Hitler and controlling the children. Um, you know, I talked to, uh, oh, <laughs> your producer has very helpfully given me the exact quote, which is, um, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. So mm -hmm. that the idea was that that's, that's what Moms for Liberty has to be vigilant against, that the yeah. woke mob is, is controlling the youth and, you know, will determine the future of education or something like that. Um, so, you know, fair enough, I guess. But uh, on the other hand, um, a bunch of people who I talked to at the conference and, uh, you know, in the, the, the leader or the um, the chapter head herself apologized and said it's never okay to quote Hitler. End of story. Um, but you know they were discussing that at this um, session, and you know Christian Ziegler basically said, um, you know, you the strategy with media is you just you don't apologize, right? You don't because that kind of uh, gives the opposing side an inch and they'll take a mile. You never apologize. Um, so, you know, coming from this old and venerable, um, uh, training institute for conservative politicians, um, it's pretty interesting, that strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also, um, went to the, uh, education, not indoctrination lunch with, um, Dr. James Lindsay. Uh, what did you learn there? Yeah. Um, so, and I think that that was actually the previous year's conference. Mm -hmm. Um, I think and, so. uh, he, so he talked both last year and this year about how, um, the current trends in education were actually an attempt by the government to indoctrinate children into the new Marxist world order. Um, and he made, uh, a lot of comparisons between um, schools' social-emotional learning programs. Those are these programs that are meant to teach kids soft skills, like how to be part of a group, um, you know, how to behave in a classroom, how to manage your your emotions, you know, how to um, how to deal with anger in a in a classroom setting. Um, you know, these basic kind of you know community, being part of a community, those kinds of of skills. Um, he so Lindsay claims that those programs, social emotional learning programs, were actually developed by the World Economic Forum, and specifically Klaus Schwab, um, who is the head of, of that group, um, in order to uh, indoctrinate children into the Marxist world order. And he compares those programs to, um, yes, I guess like the Cultural Revolution and Communist China. Um, it's just it's really wild, kind of conspiracy minded stuff um and yeah yeah and and they really believe it huh they they use the word the words marxist socialist communist um quite regularly and i guess they believe it they believe that um everyone who is not a um white christian authoritarian is a communist uh i'm not i'm not sure that they would that they would put it that way and no, in fact when <laughs> <laughs> right um and in fact when i i talked last year to one of the founders you know i asked her that question i was like so do you do you believe what james Lindsay was was saying is that also your perspective and she kind of distanced herself a little bit you know she said um she basically, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase, but, you know, she said that 
like Moms for Liberty, you know, was very lucky to have James Lindsay as a speaker, but she didn't go so far as to say that that was Moms for Liberty's official position. Yeah. Um, I'm getting, uh, I have to say that um, so that Jade can hear it, that I'm getting a notice on my computer that my battery is running low <laughs> and I might want to plug in LPC. So maybe she can help with that and we'll continue talking and hopefully I will not um, fall off here. Um, you say that they're focused on school board races, which we know is true, and um, we know that they have been quite successful, but that the Republicans who court them, as you say, are thinking bigger. What what are they thinking? What um, is the thinking of their supporters about the power of uh, Moms for Liberty and what they can do for others um, of that same ilk? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, the strategy is sort of two-pronged, right? Like you have, on the one hand, you have um, an organization that is effective at, you know, getting conservative leaders onto school boards. And on the other hand, you know, what you have is an organization that is effective at getting people who may not otherwise be engaged in politics into politics. So a very, um, a very kind of uh, successful way of, um, you know, engaging uh, moms and dads and maybe other people too um, in, you know, what politics actually means is by having them go to a school board meeting. This is not something that a lot of people were doing before 2021. You know, these would be relatively sleepy affairs um, that, you know, a, a handful of people who, you know, maybe they cared about one issue, like, you know, wh whether money should be spent on a new gymnasium or something would, would show up to the meeting. But really in 2020, 2021, you started seeing a lot more engagement on this and Moms for Liberty uh, was really good at kind of harnessing that interest and that energy um, and really, you know, mobilizing those folks as uh, conservative voters sort of more broadly um, than just in their school board races. You know, another thing um, that I should note is that the activism that uh, not specifically Moms for Liberty, but the parents' rights movement, as it's called in general, you know, these are these are folks who think that schools um, have really overstepped their bounds in um, shaping the moral lives of children. Um, they think that that's a parent's job. Um, that movement has begun to serve as a real blueprint for um, conservative activism in other spheres. I wrote about um, in uh, Sarasota, Florida, there is a hospital um, that had a a public, it's a public safety net hospital. It serves a lot of, um, you know, uninsured or underinsured um, people in, in that area. And, uh, you know, if school board meetings used to be poorly attended, then hospital board meetings were like really dead, like really not that interesting to anybody outside of, you know, people who dealt directly with the hospital. But um, using the blueprint of how successful the Sarasota parents' rights folks had been in, uh, in transforming their school board, um, a few kind of health freedom people, people who oppose vaccination mandates and, um, you know, think that uh, the hospital should have given treatments like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine to COVID patients. Um, they got on that hospital board and hundreds of people began showing up to that hospital and that hospital got flooded with um, uh, kind of threatening messages about, you know, their handling of the pandemic. Um, so this is a movement that is moving beyond just school boards. Yeah, and I actually heard this weekend the show about... Um the results of basically what you were just talking about and how doctors in uh, Florida who were trying to 
treat people for COVID, but um, had these incessant demands for ivermectin, which uh, has been proven not to help, but um, also not to be too dangerous. And they started just giving ivermectin um, so that they wouldn't be threatened with death or, you know, their families um, um, under siege and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's I mean, that that is a really unfortunate consequence of the of this, but it also, you know, kind of showcases how effective this kind of activism can be. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, it's interesting that um, parents rights is um, well, it's the, it's really the movement, as you said, it's more than mom's full liberty. Um but when you think about it, what what are these um, rights, and uh, what about the rights of others who um, are affected by what they think are their rights? That's yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, if you are a parent who has a trans kid, then what about your your right to have your kid not be bullied at school? Um, if you are a, a family of color that's living in a majority white district, what about your right, you know, to make sure that um, all of the students are aware of an accurate telling of history and, you know, what has happened to African-American people in this country? Um, you know, more so during the pandemic, but even going forward, um, if you are the parent of a kid with cancer, um, then what about your right to keep your kids safe from COVID? Um, these are all rights that people have that the parents' rights movement does not typically discuss. Yeah. And um, you say also that... Um, it's it's not part of their written materials or what they're really talking about, but there are hints, as you say, of a far more radical goal, which is getting rid of public schools altogether. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so at the first conference that I went to, the one last year, uh, former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos spoke, and she sort of said the quiet part out loud there. She said, you know, that if it were up to her, she would uh, get rid of the federal U.S. Department of Education altogether. Um, and I heard that sentiment repeated many times um, at this year's conference as well. Um, and in individual sessions, you know, you would hear people during the question and answer period um, saying, you know, my kid, I, I don't want my kid, you know, exposed to these books that are pornographic, or I don't, I don't want my kid to do social emotional learning or, you know, whatever. And the answers that, you know, other attendees and also some panelists gave often were pull your kid out, pull your kid out of school, homeschool is the answer. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of see this, um, you kind of see this, turning away from public school and also this um, setting public schools up as, you know, many of the uh, panelists refer to them as government schools. This is like putting um, people in, in opposition to um, an education that comes uh, free to them through the government, which, you know, kind of a libertarian ethos of distrusting the government. That's part of um what the culture of Moms for Liberty, I would say. Yeah. So um, we have only about five minutes, and, and I have three, I think, very important questions. Let me put them to you and see what you can do with it. Um, one is, if they really succeed all over, what would school like look like? Will there even be school? The second one is, is there any... The second and third one are really the same question. Is there anything... Um, happening on the left or even in the liberal um, public and um, if not, which I think we don't um, just shouldn't the rest of us be very very concerned and start organizing likewise yeah so to, let me um, try to address your first 
question um, first, which was about what what would the future of education look like um, if Moms for Liberty were to succeed? Um, you know, I think um, at least in the short term, you might look to a place like Florida um, to see a little preview of what that could look like. Um, Florida still has public schools, um, but they have passed a lot of legislation, first of all, about school choice. Um, so this is the idea that uh, you don't have to go to your uh, local public school. You can choose a charter school or you can um, get a voucher to put your um, put the money that would have been spent on your kids public school education toward a religious school or a private school um, or rather you know a private school that could be religious or not um, you know that the problem with this really uh, is that it um, disadvantages um, families that don't have the means to to do this, that, that that don't have a way to get their kid every day to a private school or to a, you know, a, a better public or a quote unquote better public school um, that might be farther away. So, you you know, they say that this is kind of this will, you know, help students have um, the opportunity to go to better schools. But um, I think research shows that on the ground, it doesn't it doesn't really look that way. Um, you know, the other thing that we see in Florida um, is this kind of um, rulemaking around curriculum. So, you know, you've, you have uh, DeSantis's Don't Say Gay law that, you know, talks about, you know, what you can and can't mention in terms of gender identity, in terms of um, sexuality um, in uh, in in school. Um, and then you also see these kinds of uh, curriculum being introduced um, that dictates how teachers can talk about um, history. Um, I think just yesterday, um, there was a new Florida initiative announced um, that teaches middle schoolers that there were some good parts about slavery um, that uh, enslaved people also learned valuable skills. So oh, really, uh, yeah. Um, so you know that there's that. Um, <laughs> Horrifying. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. What about the rest of us? What should we do? Yeah. So um, really quickly, you know, I think uh, there are two two thoughts that I have about that. One is that. Uh, we should also be going to school board meetings um, and other kinds of, you know, hospital board meetings. You know, this is not a time to sit at home and not participate in um, down-ballot elections, not participate in, you know, local um, opportunities to make your voice as a citizen known. And also, I have to just really put in a word for the importance of the local media in this. You know, people used to find out what was happening in their uh, local communities by reading the paper and local papers have been gutted and there are not nearly enough reporters anymore to cover these things to tell you what happens at a school board meeting. Um, so people are turning to like Facebook, Moms for Liberty Facebook page instead. Um, so this is really a case of um, supporting your local media, supporting nonprofit journalism that, uh, you know, covers these kinds of issues and, you know, yeah. educates you. Yeah. Well, Kira Butler, senior editor at Mother Joan, thank you so much for joining us. And I recommend that people read um, many of your pieces, which are, um, I think, very important. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And thanks to uh, Summer and Jade and Shelly and Patty. I'm Esti Dinor. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.